Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. again you're listening to the second hour of mornings with carmen if you are joining us for the first time here's what we're doing here we are seeking to bring the mind of christ to bear on the headline news the day seeking to walk out into the world that god so loves and to do so in ways that honor jesus so um welcome thank you for including me in this portion of your day if you want to share the broadcast with someone else, it's always posted as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. You can um, also simply download it on the Faith Radio app and share it with somebody else. And we'd appreciate it if you do that. All right, so here is a debate that you may not have even been aware was taking place. Uh, and maybe because it's not really being openly debated. It's just just kind of happening behind the scenes. It's certainly happening in academia. It's been happening in higher ed now for at least a generation. So here's the debate. Just removing the AD or replacing the AD with something else like CE. All right. So are you familiar with this? Well, there's an elite Manhattan prep school. Uh, It costs about 60 grand a year per student to attend And they have now spent um, a number of months and untold dollars to produce a 400-page report exploring and then seeking to address remnants of their racist past. And so, you know, that's an admirable project. No big surprise. Their mascot, who was known as the Dutchman, uh, is he's been eliminated. Like the, the mascot did not survive this process. Neither did the school motto. But um. Curiously, neither did the A.D. on the school's seal. So this school is called Collegiate, and it opted to scratch the A.D. notation as a part of its 1628 founding date on its seal, arguing, arguing this. I mean, you know, out loud, like this is, you know, saying the saying the quiet things out loud. Anno Domini, the Latin for in the year of the Lord. That's what the A.D. stands for, year of the Lord. Uh, was inappropriate for what is now a secular institution. So here's my question. So now you're going to look at the seal of this school, and it's, you know, it's going to say collegiate, and it's going to say whatever the new motto is, and then it's just going to have this number, this random number, 1628. Is that the number of students at any given time? Uh, Is that the address of the building? To what does the 1628 refer? And you're saying to yourself, well, I mean, you know, it's commonly understood that it's, it's the it's the calendar year, right? I mean, are you sure? Would that be commonly understood? 1628. Today happens to be Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year. On the Chinese calendar, uh, this is, by the way, the year of the tiger, the water tiger to be precise. 
Now, I, I know that there's already people arguing that that means that the Bengals have a distinct advantage over the Rams in the upcoming Super Bowl because, according to the Chinese calendar, the great goat doesn't come back around on their 12-year cycle until 2027. So the Rams are not likely to, you know, according to the Chinese lunar calendar, have much luck. Uh, in this year's Super Bowl. All right, but back to the question of what the number 1628 refers to on the seal in question at the Collegiate School in New York City. 1628 refers to the year of the school's founding. It refers to a year, a specific point in time on something called the Gregorian calendar. Now, that Gregorian calendar is called Gregorian after Pope Gregory the 13th, who's the one who issued the papal bull Uh, in 1582, announcing calendar reforms for all of Christendom. It's it's hard to escape that it's a Christian calendar and that 1628 refers to the year of the Lord. I mean, there are other calendars. I mean, there's actually lots of other calendars. According to the Jewish calendar, we are now in the year 5,782. According to the Chinese calendar, this is the year 4,720. The Persians, the Hindus, the Aztecs, I mean, Islam, they all have different calendars. But here, along with the overwhelming majority of everyone else around the world, we follow the Christian or the Gregorian calendar, and we mark the years by the advent of Jesus Christ. Can you see how putting 1628 with no point of reference like A.D., leaves this, like, random number just hanging out there with no point of reference? Jesus is the reference point. Jesus is the one on whom the whole calendar hangs. It's it's to him that it points. Now, I'll acknowledge that I was first made aware of the effort to expunge A.D. from the conversation about the marking of time when I was in college. We were instructed to use B.C.E. and C.E. to designate the common era— from time before before the Common Era, right? Like, right, so B.C. became B.C.E. Instead of before Christ, it meant before the Common Era. And C.E. was to replace A.D., and the C.E. was to refer to the Common Era, not the Year of the Lord. But exactly where does the break fall between the Common Era and before the Common Era? Yeah, with Christ, Friends, this is the year of the Lord, whether people acknowledge it or not. And I don't know about you, but I think that um, now might be the time to just start referring to this as the year of the Lord, 2022. We'll be right back. Dr. Brett Nix is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Brett, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. All right, give us um, our little COVID checkup. All right, well, here's your checkup. Uh, my wife and my son are currently both positive. Oh. So uh, so it, it finally made it into the emergency medicine household. Uh, but uh, my wife brought it in last week and shared it with my son. So recognize that in 2022, that is the gift that you don't want to share. Well, so I um, I received the gift that no one wants as well a few weeks ago, and um, uh, it it 
yeah, it's not a gift I had any intention of passing along to others, and I don't believe that I did. My isolation was pretty severe. Um, but uh, I will say, man, it is not something you, you want to get if you can figure out a way to avoid it. Yeah, that's the truth. So my daughter and I are doing the best we can to avoid that at all costs. And, but uh, that leads us into where we are today, which uh, for those who have been following the news, um, you know, it's fascinating in the U.S. For those who are watching, there's a little bit of a reprieve, a little bit of a, a, of a chance to take a big deep breath and, and, and notice that the seven-day averages have started to come down. <clears throat> and what does that mean? That means that the positivity rates that we're testing for, they're down about 30 percent on that rolling seven-day average. Now, recognize in the U.S., we're about 75 million cases since all this started, uh, roughly just below about 900,000 deaths. And what we know as well is that when you get COVID, for those that have comorbid issues, those that, that have a tendency to get sicker, they're delayed in that process. They may have a positive rate, but then they leave a week or two later where they start having severe symptoms. And so we expect that we're going to have an increase in the death rate that follows, but that's a normal progression that we're, we've been expecting. Many people have asked a simple question. So why is the U.S. different? Why is it that you're hearing in the media that, hey, just because we're seeing a rolling seven-day average, it's going to linger in the U.S. longer? And I want to challenge everybody to just close your eyes for a second and think about the map of the U.S. and how enormous it is in comparison to the countries that we're using it as a comparison to. Small countries in Europe that have high areas of pocket density, when you have a big spike, it drops off quickly. In the U.S., what do we see at first? We see it in the cities. And so once those cities have it, then it moves to the suburbs, and then eventually it triggers out into the rural spaces. So we have this tailing effect that we expect to see. Why are the numbers still going down? Because as we leave the cities, the urban areas, the population basis is lower. So those numbers trail off. But we're going to see this extending out for a little while yet, just as we see the transitions as we have before into the suburban and to the rural areas. And, uh, you know, that's expected with this rise and fall. But what are we excited about? We're excited that hopefully we're not going to see a tremendous change um, into a new variant. Uh, we've seen some small variants related to uh, the current Omicron and some variants within that. But at this point in time, uh, we're watching it, but nothing that looks like our transitions that we had from our initial into our Delta into our Omicron. Okay, so here's a listener question. Um, had, uh, you know, had had a double dose vaccine, then also uh, had COVID. Um, and then there, so then there's the question about booster, boosters, boosters every year. It's a great question. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that we anticipate being the case, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is when do we make this mindset change that, hey, we're going from a pandemic to an endemic where we're going to see it in pockets at various times of the year? Is it going to stay around like we see with influenza on an annual basis? Um, is it going to have a pattern related to what we have seen with influenza where it's typically more the fall, winter, spring months, and it cycles northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere? There's all these questions that we keep asking ourselves. And to answer the, the, uh, the, the question that came across, that individual who has had two shots and then has had COVID has not just the immunity that is born out of the vaccine, but the body's immunity that is amazing in response to recognizing this. So that's really the best case scenario. Not that anybody wants to get it, but as far as being able to mount that. How long that will last? Now, the best that we would say is probably nine months. <clears throat> so what does this coming fall look like for this individual? It's too early to tell. Uh, I would anticipate that we might be seeing, if we see this as an endemic piece, either rolled into our flu or in addition to our flu vaccine uh, on a rolling basis. But again, time will tell. Interesting. All right. We're talking with Dr. Brett next. When we come back, we're going to have a conversation about hope for those with arthritis. So are you suffering with physical joint pain today? 
Like uh, there's just a lot of people who are. So we're going to talk about some um, some hopeful things related to arthritis and its treatment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix. You can um, you can find him a number of places online. He has his own website, brettnixmd.com. Brett, what is arthritis and um, how many people are dealing with it? And what are some of the hopeful treatments, options that people may not be aware of? Well, I tell you, when you think about arthritis, you're talking about patients in the millions. And for those of you that are listening and you can remember your <clears throat> your glory days from the past and maybe you're a weekend warrior that steps out and realizes that your body just cannot handle what you did in the past, uh, especially when you're trying to hang out with your your, your kids and your grandkids on, on holidays like Thanksgiving or otherwise, you recognize that the wear and tear that your body took when you were younger is significant. And all of a sudden you start feeling this pain in your knees, maybe your shoulders or your hips. And what happens over time is we have this amazing created process that allows for our joints to go against each other bone on bone, but a, a, a barrier, if you will, that we call cartilage. And that cartilage breaks down over time. And what happens is as we age, the cells that are called chondrocytes that grow cartilage, as we age, they also slow down. They don't replete, they don't regrow, they don't replace the areas of damage that we have. And so what you've probably seen over time, you'll hear all kinds of people saying, hey, what should I try next? Many people, you may know people that have had uh, joint replacement surgeries, whether that be knees or hips. Uh, you may have heard of people having injections into those joints with different types of solutions and different types of viscosities to go ahead and try to limit the discomfort that people have. You know, some of the things that are coming down the line <clears throat> that have been in development really over the last decade or even longer are some of the things where one of them is called a scaffold technique, and it's really quite fascinating. It's taking a small little polymer, so these, these, these chemical basis of things. It's a biogradable material that, interestingly enough, we use in surgical areas for wounds to help them close up. They place this in that space, as example, with the knee in between the bony uh, spaces there. And what happens is as the joint moves, this little pad causes these small little bursts of electricity. Well, that electricity, while it's steady with activity, is something that has been seen to increase the cartilage activity. And growing new healthy cartilage is obviously a very, very positive thing. Now, at this point in time, obviously, this is an animal model. We don't know what this scaffolding technique will look like. But again, one of these bioengineering breakthroughs that is coming. And the other is one that we just talked about, these chondrocytes. How do we take the cells that God gave us, pull them out of our body, and allow them to be regenerated in a way that, um, if it's placed back in, can automatically start to grow uh, not only new chondrocytes, but new cartilage. And these models have been around for a long time, different techniques of drilling little micro holes and trying to put new um, material in there to let the chondrocytes grow. There's a recent study that's been ongoing really for about 10 years, but it's pushing forward heavily that has now shown in smaller animals like pigs and others that when they're looking at a six-month recovery period, their joints, looking at it again, looked as if they were new. And so there are opportunities going forward, which gets into you know the question, hey, Will we get at some point away from having to go in and have a surgery that we have to cut out the bone and put in an artificial uh, surface to allow this to go versus using your own cells to go ahead and, and create the, the cartilage that has been wearing down over time? The simple questions, though, for all of us, what do I do now? The most important thing you can do is to maintain a level of activity. <clears throat> to ask yourself the difficult questions are, hey, if every step that I'm taking, I am doubling my impact, meaning my weight is heavier than it should be. Maybe I need to address that, and that might mitigate some of these discomfort. 
or if you don't have any discomfort, do that check and balance. How's my weight? How's my health? How's my activity? And keep those things in balance. So it's the time of year when kids are working on science projects. And there is a kid in my community who is um, working uh, to 3D print a, uh, a, a body part that could be used theoretically, um, you know, to replace a joint. This whole, I, I just, this transplant, the, the transplant conversations that we've been having related to um, pig hearts and all kinds of other things, right? Or, you know, human hybrid pig parts. Um, I think that the 3D printer conversation is one that kind of got somewhere lost in all of that. And so I know it's not on our official list of things to talk about today, but it occurred to me as you're talking about, you know, hey, at some point people um, often arrive at the point where they need to actually have a joint replaced. Um, 3D printing is an interesting, I think, part of this conversation, but what kind of raw material are they using in the 3D printer when they're making a 3D printed body part? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll tell you, we take a step back at this and we think about the war-torn countries in the world, and this is where these whole concept around 3D printing and orthotics came from, which Mm. is you have people who have lost limbs, but they can't afford the expensive orthotics that we have in the U.S. and many of the developed countries. And so there have been different countries, companies, pardon me, in countries like India and different places in Africa uh, and the Middle East that have said, hey, we can create these things 3D printing and, and, and allow for functionality of, of missing limbs and put these processes in place and do a phenomenal job. And many of them then started to look and say, hey, what are the types of polymers that we can put into place to allow this to actually work functionally with the body to a greater degree? And again, it gets into the same issues that we had before. This is not live tissue, so it has to be relatively inert. It has to be such that it doesn't trigger an immune response or or a triggered response to the body, but it has to be functional and has to be able to be navigated within what the body has. And that's what we see a lot with uh, the transplants that we've been talking about over the last several months related to COVID, which is simply anytime you have a transplant process, especially if it is uh, an external transplant from someone else, your body recognizes that as foreign, and so we have to suppress the body's res- immune response so that you don't have rejection in this process. And so finding that balance with these 3D printed pieces, again, gets to the same, what's going to trigger an autoimmune response? What are the things that are going to last over a duration of time and not cause secondary issues, things that, you know, if your body absorbs it, that causes uh, toxin mm-hmm. issues or toxicity? Um, and how do we develop these types of processes going forward? But it drives an incredible corrupt question, and one that probably would be interesting to see uh, at the science fair, uh, asking that simple question, because I can guarantee you there are certain ones that have been tested. There are certain ones that are online right now that say that these may actually work very well. That's a little bit different than the kinds of stuff I was doing in my science fair. <laughs> <laughs> right. Times right. change, Carmen. Times change. Times change. Brett, as always, thank you so much. You guys can uh, check in with Dr. Brett Nix at brettnixmd.com. We'll be right back. All right, briefly returning here to our conversation about the calendar. It is the 1st of February. I would invite you, if you have not already done so, to sign up to read the Bible with us this month. We are reading the book of Acts. Today is February 1, so we are reading Acts chapter 1. There's 28 days in February this year. Yep, February is the month with the moving target in terms of 
the date. Sometimes um, Lent starts during February, the 40 days in preparation for Easter. But this year, Lent begins on March the 2nd. So what else is going to go on in the month of February? So I pulled up a list. February is National Cancer Prevention Month. It's National Fasting February. I don't know. Does that mean people are fasting for the whole month? Good gracious. Over Valentine's Day? All right. Well, I'll eat your dark chocolate on your behalf. National Self-Check Month. Um, I'm betting that's in relationship to, well, could be any number of things. National Enrolled Agents Month. I don't know what an enrolled agent is, but apparently this is your month. Free and Open Source Software Month. American Heart Month, which, you know, creatively, since the heart is associated with Valentine's Day, the American Heart Association thought, hey, this would be a good month to have people aware of their hearts and heart health. Uh, It is an Affair to Remember Month. It's Black History Month. It's Canned Food Month. And it's Creative Romance Month. It's also the Great American Pie Month. Who knew? National Bake for Your Family Fun Month. National Bird Feeding Month. You get the idea here, right? So as we are thinking through the month of February, I want you to consider what you are um, what you are going to do in preparation for your preparation for Easter, because February is actually going to be the time during which we're going to prepare for Lent. We're going to get ready during February for um, for the season of Lent when we are going to intentionally prepare ourselves for the events of Holy Week and ultimately the Um, the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. So the reason I say all of that is we're going to go ahead and get ready for Easter. That's right. I know that you're saying to yourself, which Carmen's a little ahead of the game today. No, no. We're going to go ahead and have a Jesus Easter conversation today. Barbara Rioch is up next. tired of bursts of anger that leave loved ones reeling and friendships hurting? Would you like to quit losing your temper for good? Well, next on Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram, Chip continues his series, Overcoming Emotions That Destroy, by sharing that it's possible to not only control your temper, but actually turn your anger from a foe to a friend. Don't miss Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram. Mornings at 11 on Faith Radio. Joining us now, Barbara Rioch. You, um, you likely know her from her many other books and the way that she encourages women in our relationships generation to generation. She's joining us today to share with us about a Jesus Easter. It's a family devotional um, uh, engagement opportunity. Barbara, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you. Oh, well, it's great to have you. I love how interactive um, this particular book is. So talk with us about how you envision this book being used and who you envision using it. Yes. Well, it is useful for families with kids of all ages. Excuse me. And uh, kids of all ages and in every situation, it is just one of those helpful tools for families who really want to disciple their kids, but, uh, you know, just need some help in fulfilling those uh, commands that God's given us in Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78. You know, God wants families to disciple their kids. I think that's really one of the main 
joys and responsibilities that moms and dads have. But let's face it. I mean, who feels equipped for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember how when my husband and I were new believers and our kids were young, we needed help. And we looked and looked for a simple tool that would really give us the the words that we need, teach us the theological concepts and help us to uh, reframe or, or give us the words to speak into our kids' hearts with God's truth. So here's the tool. Well, and I always think... I always think, Barbara, that it's helpful, um, you know, for people to know that you have walked this path in what I will call a successful way. I mean, like, right, if if we're going to judge something by its fruit, then we can look at your son, who's a pastor. We can look at your daughter with whom um, you've recently co-authored Making Room for Her. And we can say to ourselves, like, right, here's a, um, or is that your daughter-in-law? Is Stacey your daughter or your daughter-in-law? Stacy's my daughter-in-law. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, I mean, we're not officially talking about making room for her today, but it's another one of Barbara's books and it's biblical wisdom for a healthier relationship with your mother-in-law or daughter-in-law. Wow. What a, what a gift to the conversation, right? I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. um, that's so important. So if we, you know, if we're going to talk about fruitfulness generation to generation, you know, there's Mm -hmm. evidence in your own life that, you know, you know of what you speak. And so I, I always appreciate that um, when we're, you know, when we're talking with folks, talk about the value of discipleship in the context of this kind of shared family time, because I feel like um, a Jesus Easter explore God's amazing rescue plan is really this resource that's designed to equip parents to sit down with their kids and not just tell a story, but do something that's actually engaging and interactive. Well, exactly. I mean, Uh, as I said, what parent doesn't want to pass on the truths of God and his word to, to the generations coming after that. In fact, you know, the more we read God's word, the more we see how committed he is to um, passing it on, you know, pass Mm. this on. So we're really joining him in his heart and, and his uh, truth to, give to our kids uh, what they need to know about him. And it's not just that we're transferring uh, information. We, we know that it's God's word that transforms their hearts and lives and gives, ki- gives kids uh, a solid hope for the future. So parents want that for their kids. Sure, they want their kids to behave. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the heart that God is after. And that's why we want to go after the heart in our children. And sometimes, you know, we as, as families, we know how to give our kids the facts. We know how to um, tell them what God says and what his word holds out to them. But the, the material that I want to put in the hands of families to give them success in this effort is to connect those dots from what we can read uh, of truth that God says and how that applies to our hearts. Of course, it's, it's only God who does that through the power of his Holy Spirit so that their hearts come to life, come to new life in Christ. But 
I think parents can learn how to word things such that they're, it's in kid-friendly terms. And holidays are a great time for, for family fun, for uniting families and all of that. But Christian parents and church leaders want to give kids something lasting to hang on to. So I think in order to make wise use of, of the Christian calendar and the beauty of the redemption that Christ holds out to us, Easter is the perfect time for us to pour into our children the deep truths about God and his great love. I, I absolutely concur. So this, is, um, this book is designed to, you know, to engage your family over the course of 30 days. Now, obviously, yes. if you want to spread that out a little, um, you know, if you've got a family that, that, you know, gosh, we're only going to be able to really do five a week. Well, that's all right. Pace yourself a little bit. Give yourself a little bit more time. Um, start a little bit earlier in terms of the lead up to Easter so that you can work through the entirety of the book um, by the time you arrive at Easter. And arriving at Easter as the pinnacle redemptive event in all of human history is really what this book, uh, A Jesus Easter, Explore God's Amazing Rescue Plan, is really all about. So, Barbara, how does, um, how does this book help the whole family see Easter as, you know, that which has always been God's plan? Well, exactly. Um, you know, the book starts right from the very beginning, how God promised that a rescuer would come so his family would know him as their their dear father and free their hearts from the serpent's lie. So, you know, in, in this devotion, families are going to explore scriptures uh, that show how over time God used Moses and Noah and King David and so many others to lead and teach his people about him. And of course they all pointed to a greater rescuer than any of those heroes of the faith. They were all uh, pointers, indicators, uh, leading the way for us to see Jesus, the, the only one who could rescue God's family from our greatest enemy. <clears throat> so, uh, Carmen, this devotion is going to help families answer four questions. Who is Jesus? Why did God send Jesus to us? What lies does Satan want us to believe? And what is our right response to Jesus? This is answering these questions for our kids will help them to to enjoy the fullness of what God intends for us at Easter. Read us those four questions again, Barbara. Okay. Who is Jesus? Why did God send Jesus to us? What lies does Satan, does Satan want us to believe? And what is our right response to Jesus? Mm, I love that. It's so helpful. Um, Barbara Riach is the author. The book is A Jesus Easter, Explore God's Amazing Rescue Plan. You can connect with Barbara and not only this book, but other resources as well at her website, barbarioch.com. Riach is spelled R-E-A-O-C-H. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's been my privilege. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back.
So this um, this next story is one that I, I want to handle very, very carefully um, because it is about death by suicide. Um, and so I want to acknowledge in advance that you may be feeling very desperate right now. Um, and I want to affirm that life is a gift and that God is good and that whatever darkness you may be experiencing in this moment is not darker than the light of Christ. Um, give God the opportunity to shine light into the darkness. Recognize that he is very present and that he has a future filled with hope planned for you, even if it's one you can't see right now from where you are. So um, Chelsea Christ is the person at the center of this conversation. Chelsea Christ uh, was a Division I athlete. She earned a law degree and an MBA at Wake Forest University. She then became a civil litigation attorney doing pro bono work to reduce sentences for um, inmates who had not had fair representation in the process. She became uh, Miss USA in 2019. Um, she earned a top spot, a top 10 spot in the Miss Universe competition. She then served as a correspondent for the entertainment news program Extra. And last Sunday, according to the police, she jumped from a Manhattan building and was pronounced dead at the scene. And yesterday, the medical examiner acknowledged that she died by suicide. She was 30 years old. The only note that she left that uh, anyone is aware of is a post on her Instagram page that simply reads, May this day bring you rest and peace. Um, I don't know anything about Chelsea Chris' faith or lack thereof. I don't know anything about her mental health. Um, I don't know um, anything other than what we have before us as a news item that this beautiful, brilliant, accomplished, well-liked, well-loved 30-year-old woman took her own life. And her message, may this day bring you rest and peace. I feel fairly confident that those who knew her personally and loved her feel no rest and no peace um, on this day. And I lift this conversation up so that you and I can be prepared for the conversations that we need to be having with others. If you've been wondering about how somebody else is doing, if they've been, if they've disappeared from the conversation, if they have uh, melted into the shadows, I want you to go as a person of light today and I want you to shine in the darkness. Give them a glimmer of hope and a glimpse of goodness. Be the person who sends the text message and knocks on the door and says, are you okay? Are you okay? What can I do today to help you live in the light? Come out of the darkness. Let's watch the sunrise together. You and I read uh, passages like that in Philippians chapter 4. And we acknowledge the goodness of God and the greatness of God. And um, we acknowledge that, that God is gentle and that in him we rejoice. Um, 
And we also acknowledge that God is a God of peace. And he promises to be with us. And that in Christ we have the peace which passes all understanding because Jesus is the very Prince of Peace. And he gives us that which we could never achieve on our own. Peace with God, which produces a peace within the self and ultimately peace in relationship with others. Like, that's how redemption works in the life of a believer. In Christ, we have peace with God, a peace we could not achieve for ourselves, a peace which passes all understanding. And it gives us a peace with ourselves and ultimately allows us to become people who sow peace in relationship with others in the world that God so loves. And so I want to invite you today on a day that is certainly very difficult for the family of Chelsea Christ and her friends and others who have lost members of their family by suicide. I, I just want you to acknowledge that every time there's a story like this in the headlines, those who have um, lost a child or a spouse or a parent or a grandparent um, in this way, like it, it all comes back in a giant flood. So let's be gentle with one another today and let's be people who sow peace, the very peace of Christ, which passes all understanding. All right. One more um, one more headline here uh, before we go today. I um, will just go ahead and confess to you that until a couple of nights ago, I had never heard about and certainly never heard the song. We don't talk about Bruno. But Eliana, who is my 18-year-old, popped into the room and said, hey, let it, uh, let it go. Let it go? Is that, was that the song? Paul, help me out. Was no, it that was from it Frozen. Yeah. Yes, okay. So, but that was like the number one song for a really long time in terms of that songs earworm. that had been played not, over and over and over Now again. that you bring it up again, by the way, it's going through my head. Thank you very much. Let it much. go. Let it go. Hey, I know. I, I, keep, I kept wanting to say, let it snow, let it snow, and that didn't sound right. Okay. So, let it go has been displaced, replaced, updated, I don't know, usurped by We Don't Talk About Bruno. And so, I uh, dutifully did a little bit of research, not not only verifying what she was telling me, but finding out that, in fact, the now hit song, we Don't Talk About Bruno from the animated Disney movie Encanto is now the number one song on the Billboard uh, 100 chart. Apparently, uh, it is considered a very catchy tune written by uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you are gonna, you are, whose music you would totally recognize. Um, and... Uh, so there you go. We Don't Talk About Bruno had more than 34 million streams and gets like these little like nods in pop culture. If you're paying attention, you will see signs, uh, uh, no doubt, at the Super Bowl. Um, and they, they may or may not say we don't talk about Bruno, but they'll say we don't talk about and then somebody else's name will be in there. And that's obviously a nod to this song from this movie. And so it got me thinking, what are the things we don't talk about? Who are the characters we don't talk about? Um, who, uh, you know, who is the uncle in this case, Bruno, who is a little bit weird and a little bit wacky. And so we don't talk about them. The, the people or the person in your family that you prefer not to talk about. Is it you? 
Like, are you Bruno? That's what I, I, I mean, I got thinking like, okay, so when my extended family gets together and I'm not there, am I the person they intentionally don't talk about? <laughs> That's like totally possibly the case. So there you go. We don't talk about Bruno. Here's how it goes. gift to you all day long uh, that we'll just keep on giving because uh, now it's probably going to be stuck in our heads. Uh, all right. So um, somebody asked, hey, we, like, can we get an update on the supply chain crisis? Okay, sure. I did a little checking. There are apparently uh, now a hundred cargo ships sitting off the California coast in the supply chain mess that we continue to find ourselves in. They're waiting to unload Goods, um, they are facing delays caused by, well, all kinds of worker shortages. And so, you know, if you don't have the person on the other end to unload the truck, then, you know, even if the truck gets there, it's going to sit. And if you don't have enough people to drive the trucks, then uh, the merchandise is just going to sit on the dock. And if the dock is full, well, you can't unload the next ship because, well, there you go. There's nowhere to put the stuff. So as a result, you have noted, as I have, prices at grocery stores and retailers rising due to increased costs of not only labor and fuel, but transportation and storage. And so all kinds of things going on contributing to our ongoing supply chain challenges. One more um, international headline here for us to just be praying over this morning. Um, I missed this headline over the weekend out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Some 24 people died um, over the weekend due to heavy rain in the region, which triggered floods and mudslides. Um, More than 1,500 families lost their homes, according to a statement um, released there. And so let's be praying for folks um, in in Brazil as well, um, even as we pray for uh, our sweet neighbors right here at home, you know, still working to recover from a myriad of of weather challenges. All right. um, Thank you so much for spending this time together today. I just love it. I appreciate that you include me in your day. Let's go be shiny today. Let's broadcast the light of Christ into the lives of those who do not yet know him or have forgotten just how good God is. Like maybe, maybe it's just a matter of reminding someone just how good God is on this day. Taste and see that the Lord is good and help others to do so as well. Let's make Christ known as we go forth in his name. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.